0: Attention, attention all personnel, it's MASHCAST! Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates one episode at a time, the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which ran on CBS from 1972 to 1983. Proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Corporal Captain Rob Kelly, and joining us this week in the VIP tent to talk about Season 1, Episode 12, Dear Dad... Is uh, someone who I'm starting to think of as the uh, major Sidney Friedman of the Mashcast, Corey Drew. Hi, pal.
1: Hey, I'm honored. That that's uh, that's great. I like that.
0: Well, I figure you're you're very soft spoken, but very smart, and you pop in and out every so often. This seems like it's a natural fit. There we go. So, uh, yeah, we're here. To, as I said, we're here to talk about uh, episode 12, which is "Dear Dad," it originally aired on December 17th, 1972. It's their Christmas show. Uh, this one is written by Larry Gulbart and directed by Gene Reynolds, so the two creators of the show. So this is sort of like the uh, all-star episode. Uh, this episode opens, opens with Hawkeye writing a letter to his dad as Christmas approaches at the 477th. There's no big storyline threading through this episode. Rather, it's a series of smaller scenes that Hawkeye describes to his father. We see Trapper and Nurse Ginger Ballas as they help dispense medicine and lollipops to local kids. A date between Frank and Hot Lips, ruined by a series of escalating practical jokes pulled on them by Hawkeye and Trapper. Henry gives the camp lecture on sex, and a run-in between Klinger and Frank, which leads to Klinger decking him and then returning with the grenade to blow them both up. Thankfully, Father Mulcahy intervenes and talks Klinger out of it. Lastly, just as Hawkeye, dressed as Santa, is about to entertain some visiting Korean children, an emergency at the front pops up, a wounded soldier requiring emergency surgery. Hawkeye, still dressed as Santa Claus, hops in a chopper and lands in the middle of a battle to perform the most amazing house call of all time. The episode ends with Hawkeye signing off and reintroducing everyone at the seven seventh one more time. So, Corey, why did you want to talk about this one? It does a couple
1: of things that I love that Mash does, um, very boldly. Um, Like one of the things is that I like the way it uh, it mixes up the format a little bit. Uh, You know where it it, from the beginning to the end. You know it starts with Dear Dad, and you know the end credits are narrated with the characters' names over. You know the actors' names, right? And, and that whole sort of experimental kind of vibe uh, always grabbed me. Um, even even when I was a little kid, you know, you, you just kind of recognize that it's something different, so maybe it's special. Um, you know, and and Mash does that a lot. Mash Mash plays the format quite a lot. You know, obviously the the one that most folks think about is is the death of Henry Blake. Um, where they just decide to do something different at the end and, uh, fitting at the end. And I think they might've, I don't know if they were the first show to do that, but it's one of the most, uh, impactful. And then, uh, you know, uh, and then the other thing <laughs> that I like is as I, uh, as I mentioned when I was a little kid, I, um, I shipped Hawkeye and Hotlips pretty hard and they, uh, they, they give, they give one for the shippers in this particular episode. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, you know, so that was as a kid. I guess that was one of the things that jumped out about me. I uh, jumped out at me about this particular episode.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, the idea of, of course, writing letters uh, from to home to your to your loved ones obviously is something in every war, dating all the way back to uh, like the earliest wars that we've ever fought in this in this world. But uh, the 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 creation of the deer format uh, mm-hmm. is really. Uh, Really, quite useful because obviously you can then now have an, um, a narrator talking about the events. And MASH got a lot of mileage out of this. I mean, they did a bunch of episodes that were Dear Blank. They did Dear Sis, which is narrated by Father Mulcahy. They did Dear Ma, which was Radar. Dear Uncle Abdul, which was Klinger. Dear Peggy, which was BJ. Dear Sigmund, which of course is uh, Sidney Freeman. They even did Dear Comrade, which is written by a, a, a letter written by a, a, a guest performer. And then they did three other episodes The Winchester Tapes, Bolton Board, and Give Him Hell Hawkeye, which follow that format a little bit. You've got Winchester recording uh, a message home, Bolton Board, which features Trapper talking to his daughters, and Give Him Hell Hawkeye, which of course is Hawkeye talking to. Uh, Harry Truman, I'm kind of amazed that over the course of 11 years, Margaret never got one. You would think that oh. the, the second longest, you know, she the only, she's second only to Hawkeye for how many episodes she appeared in, and yet she never got her own deer episode. That seems patently unfair.
1: Well, you know, uh, as soon as you said... You know that you were surprised. I was like, "Yeah, I'm surprised too." And then I think back to some of the jokes in this particular episode, and suddenly I'm not surprised. Um, uh, You know, I don't. I'm not necessarily, you know, putting it at the door of sexism, but um, you know, they didn't really. Yeah, they they know those particular episodes. I mean, they're the benefit of those episodes is that they they share the perspective of. You know the individual that is is writing them, so you know you get the the perspective of of what it must be like to be a priest in a war. You get the perspective of what it's like to be um, Hawkeye in the war. You know that kind of thing. Um, and I guess they just never got around to you know having a, a a woman character talk about what it's like to be in the war.
0: I guess so. Um, it's a damn it, shame it, they it, never got got around to doing Dear Frank, because I can only imagine right. what a mash episode entirely narrated through the prism of Frank Burns, what that would have been like, that would have been like a surrealist painting or something.
1: I know. I, I, you know, he's, he's one of those characters that I don't like him. Like, uh, I don't, I, I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like, uh, how he behaves in the show. And I don't like what he, how he uh, affects me when I'm watching the show. Um, it, it confuses my brain, <laughs> like like for instance the scene the scene with um with Klinger, uh where he goes after Klinger for wearing the bandana, you know you're it's like oh god he's such a pill you know <laughs> and then and then out of nowhere you know he incites you know Klinger to, um you know murder. <laughs> he's,
0: he's going to blow up the entire post op
1: <laughs> Yeah, and it's like it. it you know it strikes me how um you know nowadays if you were to have the only middle eastern character on your show decide to take out his enemy with a grenade and kill you know everybody else that's you know recuperating um,
0: oh my god you know, i didn't even think about that
1: <laughs> you might you might run into some some issues you know but like frank I just there, you know. I I never liked him. I was much happier when they replaced him with an, an antagonist. But, you know, um, you know, I like uh, Charles Emerson Winchester III more. Mostly, I just like to say his name. <laughs> um, but in this particular episode, it really he, the the weird things he does to my brain really stuck out at me because it's like on the one hand he's the antagonist, and then on the other hand he's slapstick comedy relief and i don't know it never jived with me ever
0: they did do an episode in the uh, fourth season called the novocaine mutiny where uh, frank gives a court testimony and he presents some of what he thinks happened to uh, to the judge and we get to see it from his point of view and it's like it's like mad magazine i mean it's just (laughs) so it's so completely insane and it, maybe they figured they couldn't sustain that for a whole episode because it's so bizarro. I mean, cause he's like the hero, everyone else is afraid and pathetic and he's the brave soldier. And there's, there's a line even Hawkeye has where he's like, you know, he's like, no, I, he's, he calls it perjury at first point, And then he goes, no, no, no. I'm sure that's how he really remembers it happening. And he's like, more right. more's the pity. And you're like, yeah, cause Frank's insane. We now know Frank is completely nuts. Right. Um, yeah. I did, That scene with Clinger that you talk about, it is interesting that the writers clearly were kind of casting about with what to do with Jamie Farr because he's not in drag in that scene. He just has the bandana, which is entirely reasonable. It's just a little color and yet his responses to not only deck frank which somehow he got away with that afterwards but then as you say he's going to he returns with their grenade i mean like holy jeez yeah. thank goodness father Mulcahy was there otherwise this would have been a massive tragedy at the 477
1: well that's just it and it you know in in a way rewatching it in a a more considered way as i do whenever we're going to um you know uh, do one of these podcasts I'm I'm now forced to consider the fact that Klinger is legitimately crazy. Like, <laughs> Section Eight is a legitimate path for him. Like, like so in a way, it makes all the jokes of him, you know, dressing up in, in women's clothing um, and not shaving his legs, uh, <laughs> um, being uh, makes all of those jokes like less jokey. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, no, he's he's legitimately crazy. Like, he has lost. His mind. Um, and I never really thought about that until rewatching this episode. I was always just kind of like, oh, it's shtick, you know? But nope, he's nuts.
0: Yeah. He shows up in a dress in his next appearance, so I think they, they realized, okay, we went a little far with the whole nuts thing. We have to kind of make it more comedically <laughs> friendly, crazy, not actually crazy. We, right. we, there's nowhere to go with this.
1: Make it uh, Bugs Bunny crazy, not you know, Anthony Hopkins. Crazy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. I love father Mulcahy's line where he says he's tired. We're all tired. I'm like, you know, father. Mulcahy, You're only 12 episodes in, you've got a 10 and a half more years to go. I don't really think you're that tired. You think you're tired now? Just wait. You spend a decade here at this unit for God's sake.
1: Right. Can we just talk about him for a minute though? Like, sure. I feel like, like father Mulcahy, like, yeah. I, I feel like when we get to the end of all of these episodes and and you know um I'm gonna feel like Father McKay is like one of the most underappreciated characters on t v like that that moment where he interceded well he, repeatedly right like like he he tried to intercede when when klinger and and Frank were you know going at it, and then he interceded with the the m p who had like th- this great line where you know father McKay had this great line where he said. The MP said, I'm not even Catholic, and Father McKay's like, would you like to be? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, always shilling for the Lord. Right. And uh, <laughs> like, and then he, he intercedes with Klinger again uh, to, to keep him from, you know, murder. Um, like <laughs> he's, he's such a great, uh, like, moral core, you know, in, in a way that I don't think you see in a lot of TV shows anymore. Um, or maybe you do. And I'm just, you know, seeing it through mash Colored Glasses, but I really do feel like he's going to be, uh, you know, when all is said and done, I'm going to have a lot more respect for him as a character than I did, you know, before.
0: Yeah, uh, they never make it, I mean, they, they never make a joke of his of his devotion or his faith. Right. I mean, they make sure the character, the other characters don't share it. And sometimes Hawkeye mocks it, you know, here and there where he talks about, you know, right. the only Latin I know is Xavier Cougat or whatever. He has a line <laughs> here and there. But for them, but, but you know, they play Mulcahy straight, which is great. I mean, as he should be. I mean, we talked about in previous episodes that one of the things we like about Father Mulcahy is that he's not there to proselytize. He's, right. he's there to use his religion to provide comfort and understanding not to convert, which is, of course, appropriate, first of all. But but that makes him more palatable. If he was constantly – I mean, you, aside from that line you just pointed out with the whole would you like to be, which seems right. like a, a gag line anyway, really. It's a you joke, know, right. It's a yeah, joke.
1: It's um, joke yeah.
0: By the way, I do need to mention in terms of the actors, the, the actor who plays that MP is a guy named Buck Young. Uh, he did two more mashes, basically always playing an MP because he's a big mountain of a guy. So, of course, he looks like – that kind of guy. He has a lot of TV credits. He did Columbo. He did Dallas MacGyver. His first credit is a movie, uh, a film noir called Angel Face with Robert Mitchum and oh. Gene, Gene Simmons. And if you have never seen Angel Face, do yourself a favor and see it. It is a bonkers movie uh, in a good way, and in a good. That's all I will say. Go see Angel Face. It is wonderful. So I love. Um, I love finding old credits like that. And I think I've mentioned on other podcasts that I've been on, like when I've been researching these MASH episodes and I, you know, there's an actor that appears in one show and you see his credits, if if I was a professional actor, and of course I am not, but if I was, like I think I'd spend all my time talking to my fellow actors about cool movies they've been in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if that's professional or not, but like there was a guy who appears in a season 11 episode who was in Psycho. I would really, yeah. How can I not talk to him about being a psycho, for Pete's sakes? I mean, that's just I amazing. Mean,
1: you, you may not care for the comparison, but I feel like that's what um, like Kevin Smith probably does whenever he's on set. Like, you know, especially if he's on set with somebody that's been in, like, I, you know how Bruce Willis sort of famously can't stand Kevin Smith? Yes, yes. I imagine it's because Kevin Smith was, like, fanboying out with Bruce Willis when he first met him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, probably got all... All deep with the like the moonlighting and the, you know John, the secret commercial questions.
0: Yeah, yeah, probably, <laughs> probably, probably that's the case. Well, it's probably a good thing that I'm not on set today. Uh, <laughs> uh, another actor that appears in this episode, of course, playing the wounded soldier, is William Cat, uh, the greatest, uh, the greatest American hero. He's the guy who I sees. Exactly. Yep, yeah, he's the one who sees Hawkeye. He's he's not the wounded one. The other guy's the one who's wounded, and he says Santa Claus is coming. The scene where uh, Hawkeye goes into. The, the goes into battles in the Santa outfit I always feel like that's really pushing the, the the limits of credulity that you know would you allow your doctor to wear a blood red costume uh going into battle wouldn't you put fatigues on him? I mean I know that he's in the sky and he's not blending in but it feels like they were just so desperate to get the visual of Santa Claus in right. a chopper that they sort of threw out the any notions of reality I
1: I uh, I actually had a, a similar response a different, different end though. I, I was like, isn't the point of a chopper that it can land? Yeah. You know, like, why are they lowering him yeah. <laughs> to, by a rope? Is he trained for this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I, I, I was, I was taken out of it in that moment by that factor that yeah. it was like, wow, okay, so they're just gonna lower him with a rope and. Yeah. It, 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 like, I thought the point of the chopper was that it could land in inhospitable areas and get in and get out in a, in a hurry. Hey,
0: um, everybody, shoot at this guy as he's slowly lowering down the ladder. He, you're so much more of a target yes. when you're
1: up and there's nothing, like, you know, protecting you. There's no trees, there's no hillside, there's nothing. Yeah. You're just right there. And I'm like, why is nobody shooting at him? <laughs>
0: I also wonder what rain, what uh, Wayne Rogers must have felt this early on in season one, because it's the scene where they they talk about you know Henry's like, hey, there's a wounded soldier and got he needs surgery immediately, and Trapper says, I'll go, and Hawkeye and and Henry says, no, 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 he's got a chest wound, oh, you know, uh, the, the Hawkeye's the chest cutter, of course, in the movie trapper was the thoracic surgeon that was his specialty that's why they brought him to match was because they needed a chest cutter and here they're handing that specialty over to hawkeye and you know it it took uh wayne rogers three years to grow so dissatisfied that he finally left the show but uh, you know it's here it is it's already cooked into the stew and in halfway through season one that they have really sidelined Trapper in favor of Hawkeye. When Rogers must have kind of been like, "Oh jeez, you know, I I could have done this."
1: Right, right. You know, and what's interesting about that to me too is that in 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 reality, I mean, they gave Hawkeye the hero moment, right? But in reality, Trapper is in this particular episode, he has this great arc. Like he's got this, you know, he's like a pervert and, you know, he's <laughs> he's he's harsh and whatever in, you know, uh in in the beginning but then in the end he's helping the kids you know he goes and delivers that cow and that's like incredibly sweet it shows both sides of his character or two sides of his character not, not that he only has two but you know two sides of his character and um i liked that like that that's one of those moments where i'm like okay i dig trapper like he's he's cool he's got layers like an onion um <laughs> And and then they gave Hawkeye the hero moment, which I guess they've decided at this point that that's just what they're going to do. But minus the visual, minus the, you know, the stunt work, <laughs> really, you know, uh, Trapper is kind of the hero of this episode to me because he's the one, you know, helping the, the most people. And, you know, he's 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 that that sort of mini arc is is really highlighted for him. And, and um, I thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah, him and that scene with him with the kids where he's dispensing the the, the medicine Mm -hmm. and he's talking to uh, Ginger and he's like, uh, they're getting too smart because the kids are like scamming the lollipops off. And it's sweet. And that's, you know, Hawkeye and Trapper were, of course, pretty similar in their boozing and their womanizing and their attitudes. But that did display one of the differences between the two of them is that, of course, Trapper had two kids at home. And he right. was comfortable with kids. Hawkeye never really wanted to be around kids, but Trapper was good with them. And I thought that that is a sweet moment that he is, you know, he he may be the big womanizer and the big boozer, but he also likes hanging out with kids. and He likes being a dad. And that's mm-hmm. that's something they didn't play up all that much. But every so often they would do it. And that was a nice way to differentiate between the two characters.
1: Yeah, I I, I definitely enjoyed that. I, I like that they went there at brought depth. Uh, to his character who You know has more or less been A, a sidekick or a stooge for um, Hawkeye up until this point In, in my to, In my opinion
0: uh, Later on then, of course we have the scene with uh, with Frank and Hot Lips and their big romance And then it gets ruined by all the pranks right. that, that Hawkeye Trapper putting on And I, I want to find out what you feel, feel About this because look we know As you just talked about Frank's awful You know right. I mean, we know Frank is Awful um but I, I find that if Hawkeye and Trapper pick on Frank and Hotlips Lips unprompted, it, it bothers me a little. I mean, you know, like the fact that they are into one another doesn't – it's like that's their business. And right. they don't establish that these pranks are anything other than just Hawkeye and Trapper kind of being mean. It's not a response to anything. And it always feels a little just mean-spirited that they're – working so hard to ruin Frank and hot lips evening kind of for no reason other than just to be kind of dicks. And that, that, I don't know, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth a little bit.
1: Yeah. I, I've always felt that way about that particular scene and about that, that sort of thing in general. I, one of the things that it, um, it kind of has this, uh, well later on, they, they, you know, in a way they kind of backhandedly address it because in that scene, they, I don't know if it's a reveal or if, They've mentioned it before, but Frank says, you know, it sounds like something my wife would say or something like that. And, you know, Hot Lips makes a show of being really upset because either she didn't know he had a wife or he, she didn't want to be reminded of it. And then moments later, she's like, okay, fine, whatever. Then right. uh, And then later, Frank says something uh, to, to Trapper and Hawkeye about them being moral degenerates. Right, <laughs> you know what I mean. So it it kind of answers that to a certain extent because you know the 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 joke is on him because he's a hypocrite, right? But it but it also kind of reminds me of you know how I, earlier uh, in, in <laughs> I hate to quote myself here, but <laughs> once upon a time I mentioned the Joey Tribbiani effect. Well, I also have another effect called the Steve Gutenberg effect, and it, it's basically this idea that you know and uh, kind of nebbishy, but still cool guys take on, you know, the hypocrites and the, the power elite, uh, you know, through pranking. And it, it's, um, it's one of those archetypes that you see develop through the seventies and then get played out in my opinion, um, by the end of the eighties. And, you know, you've got, Steve Guttenberg's famous for movies like that like the police academy movies and and uh you know um uh you know there's a lot of a lot of those movies uh, animal house and and that kind of thing um and you see a little bit of that <laughs> in this episode with them and and I've never been a huge fan of that it always it does feel more dickish than it does feel just to me <laughs> that being said um you know if they if Klinger had actually blown up Frank, I wouldn't have been too upset. <laughs> but
0: Frank, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like when Hawkeye and Trapper try to ruin Frank and Hot Lips' relationship, or even more specifically their sex life, that's usually what they're, they're going after. Right. To, to achieve a specific purpose, like to get them to lay off of uh, like Radar's relationship in a later episode or, or getting – uh, they, when they worry that uh, that Frank has hepatitis, they do it mm-hmm. – for a specific goal, they don't have a problem, but just to be mean, it kind of feels right. like, well, if you're trying to get Frank and Hot Lips not to be jerks anymore, one way to not do that is to constantly screw with them. Like, you know, that right. doesn't seem a great way to do it. And I'm glad you mentioned that scene about where, where they're being dogged by Hawkeye and Trapper because they figure it with the gag candle – and Frank figures that it's Hawkeye and Trapper, and he goes, "God, they never leave us alone. You'd you'd think they were my wife." And that's right. where Margaret goes, "Oh, Frank." And the way Loretta Swift says that line, you do get the idea that she didn't know he was married. She re- yeah. she seems genuinely shocked. And then he says, "I didn't say it," and she goes, "You did. I didn't hear you say it." And so I feel I'm like, are we hearing in this moment the realization to Hot Lips that? Frank's married we I always assumed that she knew that from the beginning and was okay with it, but maybe not
1: yeah and and yeah that's that's right, like maybe she didn't know, and you know her thing is you know she's her target for lack of a better word is is always the sort of most powerful person uh in the room, and you know frank uh, is second in command to um you know uh Henry. And Henry, you you don't get the impression that she would ever go after Henry. You know what I mean? Like right. or if she did, she got shot down real fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Henry like in that scene where in the in the um in the marital sex uh lecture scene, you know, Henry's so uncomfortable and, and it's it's amazing. I really get the idea that what what the director like said to him at that point was, all right, so I want you to envision a sensor for the network and that's who I want you to be. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I really got the feeling that he was just felt like so awkward and everything made him uncomfortable. And he was, he was so uptight that he couldn't even, you know, look at the stick figure drawings of (laughs) different genders. Uh, And, and that was like such a great, moment for me, uh, watching it. Cause I know they had their quarrels with censors a lot on this show. Um, so my, my head and that's what happened. Um, but like, you know, it kind of gives you that image of hot lips where for a minute you're like, Oh, Oh, that's a shame. She didn't know he was married. And then she's like, yeah, I don't care. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> you know? And then you're like, Oh no, no, she's awful. Okay. Okay. Good. Confirmed. Confirmed awfulness. We yeah. can move on. <laughs>
0: It's for That scene that you mentioned with uh, where, where Henry gives the sex lecture, uh, it does have an ad-libbed feeling. I'm glad you said that because I, I felt that way too. But I actually come at it from the other angle. I feel like that Gene Reynolds, the director, probably – because there's some real laughter. There seems to be some genuine laughter in that scene, like not just <laughs> acting laughter, like actual – the actors themselves are laughing at the situation. With, with fun. Yeah, and it almost feels like Gene Reynolds told Alan Alda and told Wayne Rogers and told the other actors, "Try and mess Henry up, like try and uh-huh. try and screw McLean Stevenson's timing up, and just see what happens." Mm-hmm. And he gets and Like, and he didn't know that that was going to happen, so he gets flustered. That's how it feels to me because it's, it it seems he does seem, as you say, genuinely nervous. So it, it does feel it does have that, that slight feeling to it. So, and it's 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 a funny scene watching. Henry, of course, tried to tell grown adults what sex is like, you know. Right. Radar
1: is, like, so, like, interested. Yeah. <laughs> which is great. That look on his face is classic. And I love that line where Henry Henry says that sex is one of nature's really cute things.
0: <laughs> well, he's, he's, he's right about that.
1: It was really cute. You're right. It's adorable. It is
0: adorable. It is when it's done when it's done right. Yeah, it's adorable. Right, right. Um, um, I'm glad you you mentioned specific lines because there is one line here. Now, look, all entertainment should be judged within the context that it was made. You can't judge things by later standards or whatever. That said, Hawkeye's line about the nurses to his father, where he says they work their lovely bottoms off
1: that uh-huh. line that
0: line's got to go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they knew that line was wrong at the time. You know, I mean, you you get the impression that the the writers uh, were kind of giving him uh, a, a John Hamm on Mad Men, M- Mad Men kind of feel. You know, I mean, obviously before that, but like they were hearkening back to that casual uh, chauvinism of you know the era in which this was meant to be right. but yeah they, they they knew that line was not okay yeah interestingly though like it's a show of of really weird contrast because like it it, it was progressive in that in in the beginning of the of the episode they're, they're flirting with an african-american nurse yeah Like they, yeah. they literally like they flirt with her and i feel like that had to raise the hackles of some people you know oh. at that but <laughs> you know uh one of the things that, that jumped out at me Is at the very end when Hawkeye Refers to himself as an unsuccessful Draft Dodger And I thought to myself Wow, that's a gutsy To take the hero of the show And have him basically Own the fact that he wishes He was one of You know, one of the most Reviled type of people In our culture You know, he wishes he was a draft Dodger and And at that time Early, well, maybe maybe the Vietnam War was still happening in 70. Yeah. Oh, it was. absolutely was, so, sure. Yeah, yeah, ah. yeah. So, you know, he's basically saying, I wish I was one of those guys that all of your dads hate.
0: Yeah, you could not make a show about a heroic draft dodger nowadays. No. That would just oh, you certainly totally not fly. Yeah, if yeah,
1: conservatives yeah. are boycotting Nike, they would not watch this yeah. show. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, they would not. I mean, Vote for one, anyway. Um, <laughs> but I bought
0: a uh, bought a fourteen thousand dollar flat screen TV and I threw it out the window just to uh, own the libs. Uh, good job, everybody. Good job. I lit it on
1: fire. Um, it,
0: it, it's interesting you mentioned Ginger Bayless too because I mean, there's a couple things in this episode. Yes, there is the the fact that they flirt with her, which you have to think about that when Kirk uh, kissed Uhura. In mm-hmm. Plato's stepchildren. Yeah. was. That, that 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 episode or almost did. That episode could not air in the South. Yeah. And that was only four years before this. That's right. it. You know, and I never heard whether MASH had any problems to that effect. But uh, that it is kind of amazing. It's just four years later and yet it's it's you know, they didn't they didn't make a big deal about that Hawkeye and Trapper flirted with ginger bales. It was just part of the part of the mix.
1: I, I think one of the things that the show does is is it does these sort of uh, you know I don't like to call flirting with a person of an opposite race transgressive, but in seventy two it might have been considered that by some people, right? Um, they do these things that kind of cross lines, cross some people's lines. They do them so quickly that it all you, you might not notice it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they, there's no build up to it. It's just. Two white doctors flirting with an African American doctor or African American nurse, and then it's done. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's like, I would imagine if they had trouble with it, it was after the fact, like after it aired, and people were like, oh, you know, we're right, right, right. So, how dare you?
0: They Um, They obviously had plans for Odessa Cleveland because she gets her name, she gets her own title card.
1: She does. credits.
0: I mean, yep. she gets her name ahead of Jamie Farn, Bar- ahead of William Christopher, I mean, that actress must have been really excited, because she must have thought to herself, man, they're they're prepping me to be a regular here, and it never quite played out. She has no credits. The actress, Jessica Cleveland, has no credits between 1986 and 2010. Uh, oh. and so, I mean, that's a damn shame, because I liked her on the show. I thought she was funny. Uh, when they gave her something funny to do, I thought in later episodes, she's she's genuinely good at it. So, I I can imagine her seeing the show air. She must have just been like, "Oh man, this is great! I'm a regular on Mash. How awesome is, is that?"
1: What was the um What was the response to Mash when it in this first season? Where was it like on the bubble all the time until people got it, or was it you know universally loved? It
0: was as- mostly ignored. Uh, we've we've talked to, yeah I've mentioned this on previous episodes is that it was aired it aired the first season at 7:30 uh, back when prime time was still 7:30 uh-huh. and it was on Sunday nights up against the wide world of Disney oh no um, oh. and it, the the show was near the bottom of the ratings and the only way that it survived was because CBS's uh, the president of CBS William Paley uh, apparently his wife uh, loved the show. And she would bug him every week. Like, why don't you do something better with that show? Give it a better time slot. Don't cancel that show. I love that show. Oh, that's awesome. And Yeah, and Larry Gilbert has said that he credits that pillow talk, as he puts it, for saving the show. And so what they did was, after the first season, over the summer, ratings started to increase because they figured people that ignored it during the first season started watching it. And then as the beginning of the second season, they put it on after All in the Family, and boom, there it went. And it became a hit show, and it stayed a hit show for the remaining ten seasons. So all it took was just a time slap move, and and there you go. And it's funny because the first episode of season two feels like a pilot uh, because it reintroduces all the characters and the situations. And this this episode feels like a midway pilot. Like they figured maybe people are coming into it later on because, as you, you mentioned, at the end – Hawkeye, you know, Alan Alda goes through the whole cast again and everybody's named with their pictures, uh, which is kind of a way to kind of remind everybody, okay, here are the situations, here are the doctors, here, this is this, this is, it feels like a way to pause and get people up to speed in case they miss the first, you know, 10 or so shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It reminded me
1: of, uh, yeah, like you say, like a mid season pilot, uh, those end credits kind of remind me of all those like body British comedies because they all end with, you know, the people smiling at the camera and then telling you their name and that kind of thing. Kinda right, right, right. <laughs> so did you – maybe I haven't noticed up until this point. Um, I, I'm sure this wasn't the first instance of it, but I felt like the laugh track was really aggressive in this episode. Did you? Do you know, is this the – one of the earlier episodes with a laugh track or
0: well they all had a laugh track except for a handful uh, oh. that were that were very designated to not have a laugh track like uh season four episode quo vadis captain chandler does not have a laugh track season three's or does not have a laugh track but pretty much all of them do and yes some of them some shows are a little heavier than others and i i always wonder like was it was it the same guy on every show, or would, did they have different right. people? And some people had a, uh, you know, they like, you know, when they say people that speed have a lead foot. I wonder if there were like laugh track guys that have like a lead hand. You know, the right. guy was just like, you know, putting it on the, putting it up to eleven every time. You know, every gag, he's like, oh no, we got to really milk this one. So
1: yeah, they really did. I felt like the the laugh track really, really took me out of it uh, of, on a few, couple of different occasions through the course of this episode. That and and the slapstick was really heavy in this episode as well, which yes. you know is is interesting because there's like in the, you know, when, when Hawkeye is going off as Santa Claus, he says, um, to, to Trapper and everybody, if I don't see you Merry Christmas. Right. So that reminds you, you know, in that moment that he might not come back, right. He's in the middle of a war, there's violence there. You know, he, he may die, you know, he may be kept behind enemy lines. He may become a POW, um, (laughs) <laughs> and it, it just that little line. If I don't see, because he's saying it with a dead straight face. He's mm-hmm. not. He's not. It's not that you know twinkle in his eye that that Alan Alda perfected. Um, it, it was a dead straight face. Like, hey, I might die. Merry Christmas. Um, and and that was it. Was it, it wasn't jarring at all. Uh, but you know, after the fact, after thinking about it, I was like, wow, that was a really. Subtle nod to uh, the realities of the situation, and ten minutes ago, Hot was sticking her hand in pudding.
0: Right. <laughs> There's pudding in the pillow. Yeah. There's pudding in the pillow. <laughs> yeah,
1: and and I was just like, wow, that that is um, they st- they never miss the opportunity to kind of bring you back to the realities of the situation, but you know, at the same time, they've got all of this crazy slapstick happening throughout the episode.
0: On top of the uh, the slapstick, too, the, this is the show's early enough that it's still doing the PA gags, where yeah. you're just getting – you're having the PA guy just do gags, like just independently of them, themselves. And my favorite line in the episode is one of the PA gags is where he, he – and, of course, we never see the PA announcer. Uh, that's a whole weird – reality-bending concept that there's a staff member of MASH who we never see. We never see uh, and he And he's in Radar's office apparently all the time, but we <laughs> never see him. Um, but there's a point where he's we hear the, the, the early – this is the um, the PA guy. The, this is the guy that only did it for the first season. I don't know his name. But he says uh, he reads off the list of men who have volunteered for the 10-mile physical <laughs> fitness hike.
1: Physical fitness hike, uh, yeah.
0: And then it's just dead silence yep. And you have to really kind of pay attention to that gag to get it Because obviously, if you're really paying half attention you, you feel like you missed it But that that is the gag That's my favorite joke Because it is so unusual for M.A.S.H. to do the kind of thing later on And and visually, they help you Because Hawkeye stops
1: He comes back out the door He listens And then nothing Right, right He takes <laughs> his head and goes back in So it's like one of those little uh, one-panel comic strips You know what I mean? Right <laughs> It's <laughs> right. like Far Side or something. Yeah, I liked that. I also liked the one about um, due to everybody being bored last Sunday, this Sunday is canceled. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> that, that. Those are the,
0: they're they're the audio equivalent of those uh, drawings Sergio Aragonese would do in the margins of Mash, Ma- uh, Mash of Mad Magazine, mm-hmm. where just be these extra little gags they threw in just because they had a couple of seconds.
1: Right, they they had time and they had space to fill, so that's what they did. Yeah, I yeah. love those. I. They, they are, um, sometimes there was a couple of moments, uh, there was one where I was just like, Ugh, can we not, um, <laughs> but you know, they're, they're sometimes they're dad jokes. You know what I mean? Sometimes mm-hmm. they're like legitimately funny, uh, things like the two that we just discussed, but you know, yeah, it, it's an interesting format. Like, as you say, you never see this person now. Uh, I didn't know you never saw this person because I had been thinking for years that, the person doing it was a character that appears later on. I think as a cook.
0: Um, no, it is I thought
1: that it was him.
0: Three different actors play did the announcing over time. There were three. One is named Sal Viscuso and I forget the name of the the other guy. I can look it up when I get to it. And then there's this actor. Two of the three, not the one who's doing it in the first season that we're talking about now, but the other two actors later appear on MASH as different characters. They play, mm-hmm. one of them plays a wounded soldier, and then another one plays um, a soldier who wants to get a nose job in uh, season two's Operation Nose Lift. Yeah. Um, but they, don't, they are not playing the announcer. We never see the announcer ever. It is one of, again, to me, one of the most surrealist touches of MASH, is that there is a character who speaks in every single episode virtually, and we never see him. And there's even one where um, again, I'm jumping around, but there's even one, it's in a later, season. I think it's around season 7 or 8, where Radar is at the, is right outside the hospital at the bulletin board. And uh, you hear the announcer say um, uh, something about the nurse, something, some event for the nurses. And the the announcer says, uh, okay, ladies, uh, like powder your nose and drop your hose or something like that. Uh-huh. And and Radar goes, come on, don't say say it like I wrote it. Come on. And he gets uh-huh. mad. And a nurse comes by and goes, powder your nose, drop your hose. That's pretty funny, Radar. And Radar's like, yeah, huh? And I'm like, the guy's right there. He's <laughs> right inside the door. Go get, let's let's see him. But we never see him. <laughs> he's, just, he's like the Vera, you know, or the Maris of M.A.S.H. Right. He's just this uh-huh. character that exists, but we never see.
1: Yeah, that's a great, yeah.
0: Very that's very strange.
1: Great um, example. Yeah, that's it. It's weird. I, I never realized that. I, mm-hmm. I I just assumed, you know, that it was this other person who it definitely is not.
0: So. Yep. That's uh, the uh, the last thing I wanted to mention. I find it strangely uh, ironic that uh, you're on this episode. Of course, you're you're recording this from Maine right now. That's right. Uh, and this is an episode where Hawkeye talks about that he's from Vermont. Well, which, his of dad course, is the they, would, they would. They would. They would later on change to to Cravatville, Cove, Maine. But in the early days, he still had a family. He still had a mom. He had a sister. He talks about having a nephew at one point, which is impossible if you're an only child, I guess, uh, or, or you're, you're 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 not if you're an only child. But if you're well, then, yeah, you're an only child. You're an only child. If you're an only child, yeah. You can't have a nephew or a niece. Um, but they were they were still figuring that out. So he's from Vermont here, but they'll 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 redo that later on. Yeah, I was going to
1: ask you about that because when he when he made that made mention of that uh actually i watched this episode a couple of years back with my mom and i just remember in the, watching it at that point and being like wait a second yeah because <laughs> <laughs> he says back in maine to his dad so it it didn't necessarily indicate to me that hawkeye wasn't from maine but it did it cause me to question it because like that's you know, being from Maine, that's been a touch point for me with that character. You don't see a lot of people on television that are from Maine unless they're in a Stephen King movie. or TV right. Show. Uh, right. And they're not always the best people. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so for me as a as a kid and growing up, that was it was always sort of important that, you know, this very, you know, cool character on this great show was from, you know, a fictional town near where I grew up. Um, and then when they did that Vermont thing I was like, hey now, wait a second But I lived in Vermont for a while too So I was I was okay with it if, if that was going to be the case But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, in the books, he's from Maine
0: Yes, yeah They There's even a whole book, Mash Goes to Maine,
1: to Maine yeah. yeah,
0: so yeah Yeah, they were still sorting things out here in the beginning So, uh, like I said, I think That's going to do it for Dear Dad Is there anything else you wanted to say about this episode Before we sign off, Corey?
1: No, we uh we legitimately got through all of my notes.
0: All right, excellent. That's perfect. Yeah. So. It's first okay. time
1: actually, believe it or not.
0: <laughs> okay, I have right.
1: I have like 3 pages of the other uh two or three episodes that we did uh that we never even touched on.
0: So. Oh my goodness. We're going to have to do some sort of bootleg series where we go through right. all your notes That's and director's stuff. Okay. cuts. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Um okay, well everybody, thanks so much for listening. Corey, as always, thank you for coming on. I always enjoy talking to you, you and I I've uh, known each other a long time, and it's—I just love that you get to be on some of the some of my shows, and of course you're on. Given that Star Trek, you've been on other shows on the network. Uh, it's just uh, super fun to me that I get to sort of engage with you on in this different level. Yeah, I love
1: it. It's great. Yeah.
0: Um, so, anyway, thanks everybody for again, thanks for listening. You can listen to back episodes of the show on the website, which is FireAndWaterPodcast.com, and visit us over on. Twitter, which is at mash477kiss, and make sure to watch MASH on Hulu. Hulu, uh, the only way Hulu uh, will ever keep MASH is if they know people are watching it. And so, uh, and Tracy and I make it an effort to watch at least one or two shows every day. So, if you have Hulu, please watch MASH. And if you're considering getting Hulu, get it and let Hulu know that the reason you subscribe is because they have all 11 seasons of MASH. So, uh, okay, that is going to do it. And uh, until the next episode... That is all. What's the idea given giving hot lips mouth-to-mouth resuscitation? I was getting a culture for the lab. Any good? I think if we could get her away from Frank, she could become a major kisser. That's what she's doing now.